0: It's I on Real Estate on AM 970. The answer.
1: Welcome back to the second hour of Iron Real Estate. I'm attorney Stephen Ebert of the New York-based national law firm Cassin and Casson. Unfortunately, Dottie is not with us this week. She'll be back next week, and I am so pleased to have with me Joe Wagner of Douglas Allman. Good morning, Joe. Thank you for joining.
2: Hi, Stephen. Good morning.
1: So, Good. please go tell tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how long you've been in the business and. Things that you've seen in your career?
2: Oh dear, I've been in the business for decades, um, and I've done sales and rentals, and um, developed and worked with developers. Uh, but uh, right now, I'm in the sales and rental market, very active.
1: Great, you know, and, and I'm in that in the long career. And listeners, this is a gentleman who has done all different types of transactions with a great breadth of experience both in types, transaction size, the volume of transactions, and geographically, there's a lot of news going on. So, and I know there's never enough time to give every little nuance, but if you can maybe give the audience some insights on some of the things that you're seeing, so they can have a sense of what's going on and things to keep in mind.
2: Well, regarding the sales market, we're definitely seeing a shift, definitely in the attitude of the buyers, um, They're back out there um, pretty much with a buyer's market mentality. Uh, The sellers uh, have not really acquiesced um, to that, uh, but at some point uh, the market, so there has been a little bit of a slowdown based on perceived value. Uh, However, um, you know, in, in some of the cases, the sellers are uh, putting their condos up on the market for rental, and they're going to wait it out um, because it's just you know the, the they've been on the market for a bit too long, and, and the rental market's fairly strong, uh, it continues to be fairly pretty strong, and so uh, that's the option that I'm finding a lot of uh, the owners are going for it at the moment.
1: But you know, Joe, that's a great insight. So let's shift gears to the rental side of the equation, and since the first hour is so focused on purchase and sales. So if you want to talk a little about some of the things a prospective tenant should keep in mind, and then we'll switch it to the property owner afterwards, where if they're looking to rent a property, maybe some pros and cons of dealing with an individual condo owner versus an institutional landlord. And, and maybe a couple things that you see that maybe were unexpected for some of these uh,
2: renters. Well, um, on the institutional renter, you know, professional, I call them professional landlords. Um, they're, it's more, uh, they're very, they, they have a formula. You have to provide what they need in order to get into the rental. Um, and you can probably renew over a long period of time. When you're getting into a personal owner, they want to know a little bit more about uh, who's renting. Um, there's limited information that we can ask for, but um, the building can, the condo assoc, if it's a condo association, if they own it, um, or co-op has even more say about you know who comes in. Condos will only probably block you if you're a felon or something really bad comes up on your a credit report or on your uh, background check but for the most part condos are pretty easy because they only have the right of first refusal on an institutional owner they have their criteria they're going to look for income income verification credit report just you know they, they just really care more about your ability to pay and you can, and, and also, if you're looking for a long term lease, I'd say go with an, you know, professional landlord, institutional landlord, because you can continue to renew. They're not planning to move in or sell the place. Uh, so if you want to pl- have a place for five or 10 years, um, then I would definitely recommend anything that's institutionally owned for a longer term lease. If you're looking for a year or two, then condo is a good option
1: so now joe let's say i'm a first-time renter and i'll throw out a couple of questions that might be there Uh, number one what kind of financials are they looking for in income and reserves and secondly um what kind of fee should i be expecting right who's paying the broker commission sometimes i've heard in the past maybe you can get a month's free rent or so is that out there? And then if it's a co-op condo, who are paying the, the board application fees um, typically?
2: Well, when we had the uh, – during COVID, when the market had really soured and gone south, um, the owners of the landlords uh, were giving a lot of, uh, you know, con- concessions, including three months' rent, sometimes two months' rent, and having no fee. Uh, As the market strengthened last year and rents went up and skyrocketed, actually, even past uh, pre-COVID numbers, um, those dried up. I mean, the the percentage of concessions was uh, single digits at one point. Um, But during COVID, it was like 65% or more. Um, But those have dried up pretty much. The market has stabilized. It's softening a little bit, um, especially. But there's also a seasonal, seasonal thing uh, going on. Uh, like right now, if you have a three-bedroom co- uh, co- apartment for rent, or, you're probably not going to have a lot of um, takers because most of the fam- people with family that need the larger apartments are already settled in for the school year. So like that, seasonally, that market's down. But there continues to be, Right now, a shortage, or let's say supply short, supply shortage of units that are like five thousand and under, maybe six thousand and under, and uh, that that's a very competitive market. So I would I would tell anybody that's trying to get a new renter or you know someone new in the market that doesn't know, you get all your ducks in a row, get your paperwork together, get your get your credits, try to get your credit score up. You know, put some savings in. They're, generally, they're looking for a year. Or some landlords want a year or two. If you have a cr- low credit score, but you have the money in the bank, they'll be more apt to rent it. You know, they'll kind of go your way. If you have no cash in the bank and you're just barely, and you've got to make at least forty times the rent, pr- uh, uh, forty times that. In let's like, so so let's say your rent is $1,000. And by that you mean the monthly rent. rent,
1: right? Not the annual, but you mean yeah, 40 times. Yeah, the yeah. So rent.
2: Let's say you got yep. $2,000 a month rent. You need to be earning at least 80,000. For some buildings, some will require 42 dollars um, and 42 times that. So it'd be 80, you know, 84,000, for example. If we're using a $2,000 number, it's hard to find. I don't think there's really many units on the, uh, in New York City that are 2000 a month. Sure. Not in Manhattan, not in Brooklyn, not in Williamsburg and hot areas like that.
1: Perfect. Now, Joe, I we guess. actually have a caller in which had some questions about the rental market. Uh, Mr. Producer, if you could please um, put the caller on. Hello? Uh, good morning. Yeah. Welcome to ION Real Estate.
3: Or you hi um, actually I, I it wasn't a rental question I was calling in about um, it is a question about um, a sale I guess it could be in any situation I am going through a divorce and I'm gonna be selling a property um, and my husband and I both have prefer a different broker and I'm curious is it is it okay to hire two brokers to sell it and if it is, then who represents who or, you know, how does that work?
1: Thanks for the question, and I'm sorry you're going through this. Um, typically speaking, there's only one broker on a transaction. Now, I have seen certain properties, maybe a little more high-end with some unique issues, that there will be a couple of brokers on the transaction represent the seller. That's more than the exception than the rule. Um Generally, I would recommend to try to see if you can come to a consensus to pick one. If that is really an impossibility, then you have to really pose the question of why are you paying more, right? If you're looking at hiring a professional, they will need to be and deserve to be paid for their time. The issue is if you're going to have two, now all of a sudden you have two people looking to be paid. So you get into a logistical question of, how much are you going to pay them are you paying them double so they each get a commission maybe it's some reduced amount and then also which company is really taking the lead right you only need one set of photographs of the property to try to market who's doing that and where you do the cost allocation so personally i would try to see if the two of you can get on the same page on that otherwise it's probably some extra costs Joe, I know it's a little bit of a, of, of a unique issue. Any experience in your career like that or any recommendations for the caller?
2: Uh, yeah, I'll tread lightly um, because generally everybody's high-tempered in, uh, in a divorce situation. And uh, I've, I've been in a situation where I was uh, favored by one party and not the other. And it was constant. It was, it was like a diplomatic kind of negotiation in the middle of a war (laughs) and eventually the property got sold but you have to deal with you know the people that are emotionally charged and uh you know the home may the home represents generally a very large portion for most people of their net worth so it it becomes a very important aspect for the parties moving forward but you know unfortunately they're always you know, they blame the broker for, you know, anything that can go wrong. in in a situation that's high charge like that, it's, it becomes, you're really, you're, you have to tread lightly.
1: It's, it's a great point. And I do want to add also for something to keep in mind for the caller and our, and our total audience is that real estate agents are licensed professionals and they have a code of ethics and they have a fiduciary duty to represent their client. And the client, even in the case of the divorce, is the seller. And so unfortunately, um, even if the the, the couple soon to be divorced or who are divorced who own the property together, they are both still the sellers. So you generally don't, an agent is representing them both and they can't really choose sides over one or the other. So also keep that in mind. So I do think hopefully maybe there's some way that the two of you can get together and have uh, the same and is probably the best course forward that thank you for calling in. So Joe, I want to go back to um, our rental situation um, Mm -hmm. that we have. What about now? And there's, there's been a lot of restrictions these last couple of years that have come in about how much security that landlords are able to take and so forth. But, while it's meant to be helpful, there's also some downsides. You know, one big part of I've noticed of our rental market has been, let's say, people from out of the area, maybe even people outside of the country that may not have a great credit history just from a lack of information, not a negative because lack of credit. And they're also a key part of our rental market. Any advice for them and And then afterwards, any advice for some of these smaller landlords looking to rent from someone with just a lack of history for someone who's from out of the country?
2: Well, okay, so um, there's one option that I immediately go to um, is a company like InsureRent or there are other companies out there that basically for a fee, a small fee, will guarantee the rent to the landlord. So it's insurance, it's insured rent to the landlord. So that removes, you know, if it's a foreign national with no credit report or, but, you know, I've rented to foreign people that got transferred, for example, and have a great job. You can either get the, sometimes get the employer to guarantee the rent or they have a rent stipend and it's just, you know, it's part of the financial package um and that will probably calm down the landlord because they know the rent is coming in basically they just want to know where the money is coming in to pay for the rent so in that sense um uh a letter from the employer or a guarantee from the employer that there is uh some rental you know uh income available in the uh in the job uh, getting a third party guarantor, maybe a relative, I've seen that happen too. Um, and uh, there are options. I mean, it's not slam dunk, no. Um, but it depends. If someone ha- can prove that they have the funds, it, it can be worked around.
1: Great. And a couple things I want to add on the legal side. You know, when you have a smaller landlord who's renting out a particular condo unit or a co-op unit, keep in mind you should definitely talk to the management company before you even put the property up for rent on the market. You want to know what those fees are, what kind of application is necessary, and also you need to know a lot of buildings have required language that are supposed to be added into the lease um, so very very important um, that as an owner looking to be a first-time landlord know how your building works and also know about how long the lease must be under new york city zoning laws for something to be considered residential as opposed to transient housing like a hotel for example a lease must be at least for 30 days however a lot of co-ops and condos have additional requirements, and typically require that a lease be for at least one year. So really keep that in mind, especially if you're interested in renting out. Sometimes these corporate furnished rentals really understand the building that you're in, that you're trying to rent on. Now, Joe, tell me a little about some of, I would say some of the hot neighborhoods in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Where do you see apartments going very quickly? And where do you see sort of ones that are languishing or maybe somebody able to get a little bit of a better deal?
2: Well, um, most of the markets have heated up um, after the pandemic. Um, The laggards were east midtown and way upper east side. Uh, West side stayed fairly stable. The areas that came back quickest were downtown and Brooklyn. Williamsburg, Bushwick, um, East Williamsburg; those neighborhoods had very little downside. They they just bounce back. Uh, people that are starting out, that's where they want to live. Um, you're more more established in the sense of you know maybe having uh, t- children in schools. They may want to be in certain areas that have schools like the Upper East Side and Upper West Side. Uh, so you see more of that, but the West side market was stable the The hot neighborhoods have been downtown and and uh, Brooklyn you know uh, towards Manhattan. Anything that is a couple of train stops away from Manhattan work let's say that that's been the hottest areas
1: now it's always dangerous to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Any predictions for the next six to twelve months, and where you see some trends going in the rental markets or particular neighborhoods?
2: Well, we've we've already seen a slight uh, decrease in rents, um, but minimal, like just by a couple of percentage points. It was really overheated up until August. I would say it peaked, but with all the information we're getting slammed with, and you know, world events and economic events here in our own country um you know i think people are getting nervous but people that are you know people need a place to live so maybe they're not buying but they have they'll they need to live somewhere so they'll be renting we don't have enough so we don't have new housing very few rental housing be- being built yo, yo, i
1: apologize we're about to come to a hard break if you can just give people quickly your phone number and email so they can be in touch with you
2: That'd be great. Uh, yeah, 917-287-8823 or Joe, Joe Wagner, joe.wagner at element.com.
1: Joe, thank you so much for joining, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Joe Wagner,
1: Merger Waver, Douglas Elliman, and we'll be back at Iron Real Estate.
4: What can you expect at Adelphi University? Don't expect ordinary. Because this is where extraordinary happens every day. Classes smaller professors, more like mentors. Clubs and organizations to jump into, over 90. Graduating salaries 28% higher than the national average. Over $70,000 a year for baccalaureate grads. A US News and World Report best college with exceptional undergraduate programs, graduate and doctoral programs, certificates and continuing education. Top-ranked academics with hands-on learning in healthcare, STEM, arts and humanities, social work psychology and the business and teaching professions with career guidance. That's one national recognition, more scholarships, more internships, more friendships, wherever you're going, whatever your age, whatever your goal, you can expect extraordinary. Adelphi university. Learn more at adelphi.edu slash exceptional.
5: You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So instead, we're going to have someone else say it. Because for some reason, when a random person talks about how great something is in a commercial, it's more believable.
0: I saved with a Progressive Home and Auto Bundle.
5: And there you have it. I mean, I'm not sure why she's more believable than me, but either way, you get the point about the saving. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.
6: Hi, it's Joe Piscopo. You know I love performing at the Saccone Theater at Bergen Community College in Paramus. So I'm bringing my band and heading back there on Friday, October 21st, for an unbelievable show. A lot of comedy, some stories, a great tribute to Mr. Sinatra. This is a night you can't miss. It begins at 6 p.m. in a luxury tent right in front of the theater with a full dinner complete with signature dishes from Frank Sinatra's favorite restaurant, Patsy's, and owner and chef, Sal Scagnamillo. You know what's really great? We'll be raising money for scholarships at Bergen Community College, a great school. You get valet parking, dinner, wine, the show, everything for one unbelievable price, $125. The Sacone theaters an intimate venue that will sell out fast. So get your tickets now at tickets.bergen.edu. That's tickets.bergen.edu. Tickets.bergen.edu or call 201-447-7428. I'll see you there.
0: Tune in to The Papa Report with John Papa. We have a a saying on our whiteboard, educate and empower people so that they can make better decisions with their hard-earned money. We live by that strategy. Securing your financial future. What is the purpose of your retirement plan? We want to find out, is it to go travel? Is it to go see the grandkids? Tune in to The Papa Report. Saturdays at 9 a.m. and Sundays at 1 p.m. Right here on AM 970, The Answer. Continuing. Ion Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Ion Real Estate, the Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
1: Welcome back to Ion Real Estate. I'm Stephen Ebert, attorney with the New York-based national law firm of Casson and Casson. Fortunately, Dottie is not with us today, but she'll be back next week, and I'm so pleased to have our guest, uh, Natalie mexi from Cranes how are you Natalie Natalie can you hear me
3: yes can you hear me
1: ah perfect welcome to the show how are you
3: hi I'm doing well sorry about that thanks for having me today
1: oh, you're welcome you know you write on so many fascinating topics that affects our city and also Uh, the real estate industry and there's been so much news lately between how the rental markets have changed whether it's residential whether it's retail leasing and office leasing tell us a little bit about what the general climate that you're seeing and and some of the topics of interest for yourself and also at cranes
3: referring to the rental market generally in manhattan at least um the borough has never been more unaffordable than it is now. Um, apartments are extremely expensive at all, at all sizes in all neighborhoods. Um, we've, we've had average or median rents crossing the $5,000 a month threshold for the first time ever. Um, and that's really alarming, especially when the city has such a shortage of housing. And you'll see that the number of new leases signed month after month keeps getting smaller and smaller because this housing is all being absorbed. And there's very little new housing being built to replace it. And that's also a big reason why prices are so high is it's a simple supply and demand issue. There's so much strong demand for apartments in New York City and Brooklyn and Queens, um, but there's not enough housing to meet that demand. And so you see prices skyrocketing the way that they are now.
1: I definitely want to get back and talk more about affordability because that's absolutely critical and some of the factors that could impact trying to make housing more affordable but i'm very curious about the feedback loop that is for employers are are we seeing an impact of the cost of housing on the residential side for the employees affecting coming back into the offices of companies making a decision of where they want to have their office space What, what are you seeing more um more into the business side and how and then a feedback loop
3: so it's a really interesting relationship. I think um, more as more and more people are coming back to the city, you're not seeing that same rise in occupancy in offices. And so it seems like people are moving back into the city because they want to be here and they want to live here and they want to go out and, and take advantage of all New York has to offer except for going into the office. And so we'll see right now that, post-Labor Day, even office, office occupancy on an average day is, is at just about 50% of pre-pandemic levels. And so we've seen lately, um, company after company is shrinking its office space. KPMG, for example, announced a few weeks ago that they are moving into a brand new space and that they've signed the largest office lease of the year at, at one of Brookfield's uh, properties buildings. But the problem with that lease is while it's massive, I think it's about 450,000 square feet, that's still a 40% reduction from the 8 800,000 square feet that they occupied across different buildings before they made this announcement. And we've seen other companies as well, some banks, financial firms, Facebook, for example, has given up on plans to expand um, in other buildings to build new buildings near Hudson Square. And so, yes, the interesting is the interesting thing is it's kind of become an inverse relationship between demand for housing in new york city and then people's desire to be in an office in new york city
1: that's a great observation and how are we seeing landlords respond in other words are landlords certain landlords may be more nervous than others not just about the quantity of space but also about how their space fits in from a quality point of view Are are we seeing a repositioning of assets by commercial landlords to try to at least capture maybe this smaller market of tenants that are there?
3: Absolutely. So there's a term in the real estate industry. um, it's It's the new buzzword. It's called the flight to quality, quote unquote. And the flight to quality describes just that is anyone who's looking for a new office or is moving offices or has a lease that's about to be expiring is one Uh, reducing their footprint, and two, moving into a brand new, more expensive, more modern, more amenitized space. And so they're taking that money that they would save on occupying, let's say, 30,000 square feet at a building they're already in and saying, okay, well, we don't need thirty thousand square feet. We'll reduce our footprint to fifteen thousand square feet. But we're going to take that fifteen thousand square feet, and we're going to do it in a building like One Vanderbilt or One Penn Plaza because it's beautiful and it's new and it has amazing amenities that our that our employees hopefully will want to take advantage of. And so you'll well, see you know, all around. Like, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh no, I was going to say that that puts a lot of you know portfolio landlords in a very tough situation where they almost have to cannibalize their inventory. And at the same time, even if, let's say, they're getting a good rent in this smaller, um, more desirable building, overall, they have to actually put more resources to make it desirable. And then you're going to have other empty space in some of their older, um, maybe B-plus office instead of A-plus office.
3: That's certainly true. And, and you'll also see the difference between landlords of class B buildings, for example, which are buildings that are not as nice, don't have as many amenities and, and tend to be older. Um, so that's a lot of the buildings around like the Herald Square area. So those office buildings there, landlords are having a really, really hard time um, getting tenants to come because everyone is interested in going to the new buildings. And then the landlords who do own newer buildings or, or even have older buildings and have the money to do so are spending hundreds of millions of dollars um, repositioning and building public spaces, adding restaurants, adding rooftop space, building gyms. Um, A.B. Rosen, for example, in one of his buildings just added um, an amazing new fitness center on the lower level. Um, it has bike rooms, pelotons, steam rooms, all kinds of amazing things that people can take advantage of. Um, and the landlords who have the money to do that are lucky because they're the ones, I think, at the end of the day who are really going to be the winners in this game of, of, you know, who's left standing at the end of this mess.
1: So, so it also sounds like we're going to see the beginning of a trend. We are really going to see a greater variance between the A and A plus to the B and B plus quality office buildings. Are, are we starting to see that pan out in the market where the spread and what the price per square foot rents are asking are diverging?
3: Absolutely. And I think that's been happening for a while. There's like these, these new class A office buildings, for example, are, are getting rents that nobody ever thought they would be able to get. So one Vanderbilt, for example, when it first started marketing, Um, one of the brokers who worked on the leasing team there told me that the rents that they were supposed to ask from tenants were just astronomical and no one ever thought that they would be able to get them, but they did. Um, and, and you'll see this is it's amazing how tenants are, are paying so much money for smaller space in a better space. And you'll see that in class, class B buildings, for example, prices are not going up at all. They're going lower and lower. Brokers are having a harder and harder time filling in those spaces. And a lot of those landlords are starting to fall into foreclosure because their buildings are reporting lower occupancy rates, but they still have mortgages to pay. They still have taxes to pay. And so they're unable to meet a lot of their financial obligations.
1: That That is a great point. That was actually my next concern. If you're going to see the vacancies go down, and also the cost of insurance, maybe of taxes as well going up, as well as any of these buildings needing to refinance um, and with, in a higher interest rate environment. It sounds like we're in a very tricky, to put it mildly, situation for these Class B operators.
3: For sure. And financing has been, it's just becoming more and more difficult to come by. I mean, banks, banks are worried. Landlords are worried. Um, private lenders are also you know, they're, they're being a little more conservative with, with where they're putting their money. And, you know, it's just very uncertain. And I think, you know, all this speculation, we can speculate as much as we want. But at the end of the day, we don't know what's going to happen to these buildings. Maybe they'll sell. Maybe they won't. Maybe there will be new tenants who come in who don't care what their office space looks like, like startups, early seed companies that, that just need a space, quick and dirty, and they don't really care what it looks like or what amenities it has. Um, I feel like right now, those companies are not really focused on on an office footprint right now. But maybe later, as they grow, maybe in the next two or three years, they'll, they'll come to it and say, you know, we need space. And these are the people who are going to take advantage of of those Class C offices. Rents are lower. They don't care what it looks like. And so this is the perfect mar- perfect market for them to enter.
1: Have you seen any push from those property owners to either a try to maybe convert some buildings to commercial condominium units to try to to make it a more of a unique uh, building or any push on the government side to try to work with them and maybe modify some of the zoning rules to open up what would be what could be the universe of tenants for those properties
3: so in terms of office to apartment conversion um, do you mean office to apartments or office to office? You
1: know what? I, I apologize. We're about to come up to our break, but right after the break, we'll talk exactly about the repossession of these properties. And you're listening to IN Real Estate. We'll be right
5: back.
4: This is Joan Herman, host of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life. Every Sunday night, some of the world's most inspirational and influential people join me to discuss health and wellness, professional development, and personal well-being. They share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Take time for yourself tune into Conversations with Joan every Sunday night at 10 p.m. right here on AM 970 The Answer. If you miss a show, be sure to visit our website so you can listen on demand. And while you're there, read our digital magazine and take part in our book club. Visit CYACYL.com. That's CYACYL.com.
5: happened. Now I take Relief Factor every day. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800 for relief to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference.
6: You know, a business that epitomizes strong family values and tradition over many years is Pat LaFreda Meat Purveyors. Established in 1922 in Manhattan's meatpacking district, Pat LaFreda Meat Purveyors has been an institution in the New York restaurant scene for three generations. If you've experienced a delicious cut of meat at a premier restaurant within the tri-state area, odds are it was a Pat LaFreda product. Pat LaFreda supplies over 1,600 restaurants a day. You don't keep up that pace unless you're on top of your game. Talk about a true New York success story. Today, LaFreda Meat Purveyors operates two of the nation's largest state-of-the-art facilities in North Bergen, New Jersey, keeping to their local New York, New Jersey roots. Go online to LaFreda.com. It's L-A-F-R-I-E-D-A.com. Continuing
0: with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
1: Welcome back to Eye on Real Estate. I'm Stephen Ebert from the law firm of Casson & Casson, and I am joined with Nally Sakmechi of Cranes. And right before the break, we were just talking about some of the dilemmas that Property owners of sort of class B office space and the headwinds that they're facing, and maybe some of the solutions, if possible, that are out there. So, Natalie gets to, to ask the question again Are we seeing any either different approaches by these property owners um, in either trying to maybe convert a building to a commercial condominium to sell off office space, or maybe a push to try to rezone where there is? Um, changing to allow different types of retail or maybe conversion to residential buildings. Any any push at all in these areas, have you seen?
3: So the the office to office condo conversions, I have seen definitely. There's a building at 32 West 39th Street. So that's, that's near Penn Station, as I said. Um, it's a Class B building, and it's being converted to office condos so that it can avoid foreclosure. So converting an office building to an office condo is not that complicated. Also, you get to fill off the units quickly. And we're also seeing a trend where users, for example, the tenants, are interested in buying their own space rather than paying rent every month. Um, we've seen hospitals do this where they pick up medical office condos, and, and, and in some cases buying entire buildings rather than leasing space from landlords. Um, and this just makes economic sense for many of them um, over time. So in the long run, it's much cheaper for them to just buy the space than to keep paying rent over time. And they also have rent increases um, after every year. So that also factors in. But most of the conversion to apartments I have seen in New York City is definitely um, hotels being converted to housing. Um, I remember the, the city and the state announced last year that they would ease up on zoning regulations, which can be very restrictive in New York City and that they were going to do that to allow for more conversions of hotels to apartments and in particular affordable housing. So we've seen that here and there, but those zoning changes haven't happened on a larger scale. And also there's a lot of restrictions on hotels today about what they can and cannot do. For example, the hotel union requires um, all hotels to have opened by a specific date last year or else they'll have to pay a lot of fines and they also have to pay increased severance fees to any hotel staff that has been laid off. So any hotel owner who was probably thinking about converting to apartments had his hands tied and was unable to do that because now he had to reopen because of a new law pushed by the hotel union.
1: It's, you know, it's interesting we have a client going through that exact uh, situation and it's interesting about the different types of conversion options that they're thinking of. And it really depends on what a CEO that they have um, for the property. Some of them, depending upon what CEO that they have, will allow uh, dormitories or maybe extended stays. And that is definitely an issue that's going to be out there of the union negotiation. Because if you're changing your hotel footprint from maybe a flagged hotel for a national or global chain, and you wanna turn it more into an extended stay, what you need in terms of personnel and what services you're providing are radically different. So that is a a absolutely great observation and a pressure point uh, for hotel owners. So turning a little bit to the affordable housing side, what are you seeing in the form of zoning bonuses, maybe tax incentives, or what other topics under discussion to try to really provide that affordable housing to really keep the population um, growing and dynamic in the city?
3: So I think affordability in New York has, has two branches. So you have the general affordability of the city's entire housing stock, which we mentioned before, has become more and more unaffordable as, as market rate rents keep rising. Um, but now we've also lost, a very important mechanism for building both kinds of housing so affordable and market rate and that is the 421a tax abatement and um that's also known as affordable new york so for anyone listening who who isn't familiar 421a is a program where um, developers can build market rate units um, and they have to set aside a certain percentage of those units as affordable and they don't have to pay any or all taxes on their buildings for a period of say 30 years depends on what deal you've made with the city. So that program now is gone and that was I think contrary to popular belief that wasn't a mechanism for building affordable housing but rather a mechanism for encouraging landlords to build market rate housing because without this tax program now what developers are saying is the numbers just don't work to build ground up rental housing. and so whether you think that's greedy or not it's it's the way their money works and so the developer will now look for another type of asset class to build like condos which have been popping up all over the city or they'll use that money to buy existing housing rather than building brand new or maybe the developer will start to look out for opportunities outside of new york city altogether so with 421 and not only does the affordable housing stock suffer But the overall growth of rental housing in New York City also is slowing down.
1: Absolutely. That's a very big concern. I mean, we have one of the most, if not the most, complicated building code um, for any municipality in the world. And also, as part of really some of our movement towards greener buildings, you have other building costs. And if you throw that in there with higher costs of borrowing, um, at some point, Developers are still in a business, and they have to make a profit. Otherwise, they're not going to build. The market will ultimately speak. Um, So, hopefully, there's definitely going to be some support uh, from the city to try to figure out some solutions to help make things more affordable. Because at some point, if it becomes too, you know, unaffordable for people to live in the city or in key areas of the city, it affects the dynamism. Now, with that,
3: I mean, I think that's already uh, happened. It's it's not a question of if it's unaffordable. I think it's already unaffordable. And, you know, the clock is ticking. Something's got to give. Sure.
1: Absolutely. And and where I was going to go take that with, if you're trying to open up a retail establishment, right, if you're trying to have a restaurant or a bar, for example, if the cost of housing increases, that's going to limit the number of people who live in the neighborhood. And if you're heavily reliant on the neighborhood, but you don't necessarily have the office worker traffic, that's also going to have a feedback loop effect on what can open and how those businesses can thrive on the retail side. And, and what, do you, what are the trends that you're seeing on retail leases?
4: So
3: retail leasing, we actually just got a report recently um, that we put, that we published on cranes, but retail leasing is it's, It's growing. It's not there yet, um, but it's definitely on its way to to reaching pre-pandemic levels. And they've actually rents have actually had their first increase ever uh, last quarter. And that's the first time that they've increased since 2016. So it's been around six years of, of falling retail rents in Manhattan, at least. I'm not sure about the other boroughs. Um, but mm-hmm. right now, they're at an average of $607 a square foot. So that's definitely a good sign. But there's still trouble in areas like Madison Avenue, for example, on the Upper East Side, um, where you'll see vacancy after vacancy after vacancy. I mean, when you walk down that that avenue, all you see is, is signs in the window with broker information saying that either the building is for sale or the retail space is for lease. So it now, it's it really that. depends on your neighborhood.
1: So trying to unpack that problem, and I'm going to to throw a few items out there, is it the type of space, the mix, is it also an issue of sort of national tenants, for example, let's say banks not necessarily expanding their footprint, or stores like The Gap, for example, Um, is it a mix of everything, or are there a few specifics that seem to be highlighting um, some of the softness there in the market?
3: So there's definitely a few culprits that are, that are holding uh, retail growth down. So like I said, we had, we had Madison Avenue, and then we also have, um, for example, sorry, I'm just pulling up this chart that I have in front of me, and we have downtown Manhattan also. Those are the two, those are the two markets that are struggling the most. In manhattan um and i mean i'm sure you've been in both areas you'll just see vacancy after vacancy but you also have areas like soho parts of soho on prince street between um broadway and west broadway for example where there's five spaces right now that are available for lease and that's it in the entire corridor and rents have also gone up almost 30 percent in the last year and that's the highest increase that we've seen out of any other retail corridor but I don't know that it has that much to do with with who lives there, because apartment availability in Manhattan right now is not struggling. It's the opposite. There's just no apartments left because everybody wants to live here, and everyone who is living here is willing to pay the higher rent. And the landlords, the reason that landlords are able to keep charging so much is because they know that someone somewhere will come and pay it. Whether they have to kick out the tenant who lives there who can't afford the higher rent, it doesn't matter because somebody else will come in and pay that higher rent.
1: Really fascinating. What's interesting also on the corridor that you mentioned uh, over in the West Village before, it's interesting how the news story changes because a couple of years ago, the story was the vacancies that were over there because what happened were rents went up so much, the sort of local unique tenant mix couldn't afford it and they became much more national uh, tenant mix, which then pushed up rent so much, which then caused the vacancy problem. So it's absolutely fascinating to see how neighborhoods evolve and the causes uh, for the vacancies occur. Now, we're just Definitely. about out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Again, you've been listening to ION Real Estate, and it will be back next week, Saturdays from 10 to 12. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.
3: Thank you, Stephen.
0: Take care.
1: Eye on real estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank NA.